This is the reading of God's word. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Father God, we come before you as we have sung together in one voice that you would speak your word, that your word indeed will come powerfully, Lord, seeking out those whom you have called this morning, that it would indeed go forth and not return void, but doing the work you have set it out to do. We pray this morning that you would grant the gift of salvation to those who yet believe, and for those of us who do believe and have been weakened and heavy laden from the world, that you would restore once more to us the joy of your salvation. God, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes to the gospel message of Jesus Christ, knowing that in it your power and your righteousness is revealed. We ask, Lord God, have your way in us and through us be magnified. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. As we continue our series, Beautiful Feet, I'd like to ask you guys to consider this morning, how is it that you have come to faith? If you are a Christian and you grew up in the church, you've always considered yourself one, when was it that you took your faith seriously? Why have you come this morning, this cold, icy morning, to sit together, to sing songs, and to hear a person talk about Jesus and to pray together? Odds are perhaps you were invited, your parents instructed you, or you had a moment where you knew that there was something about Jesus that was pure and true. As we hear God's Word this morning, I'll ask you to consider your faith and how you came to it, and even think about in your daily lives as you go to work and to school, the people you encounter regularly, if they indeed know this joy that you two have. I was born and baptized and even confirmed as a Christian here at ELM. And before becoming a pastor, there were uh, quite a few number of years where I was rebellious and lived a life probably not not quite so satisfactory to Scripture and to what we would uh, deem as Christian living. I was indeed in many ways a hypocrite, saying I believe in one thing, yet living and hoping in many other things. I remember in college, the second winter, I went to a retreat as a counselor. And usually, if you're going as a counselor to a retreat, you should be pretty mature in your faith. You should have your life and your doctrine somewhat in order, because you're going to be leading young students. Yet, uh, I was asked to come as a counselor to a retreat, but my life was in shambles. I was rebellious, drinking, escaping and all sorts of tomfoolery, shenanigans, horseplay, whatever you want to call it, sophomore behavior. And for some reason, I was encouraged to go, and in retrospect, I realized why. The Lord called me to go as a retreat counselor the second winter of my college years, not so that I can help the youth or give them wisdom or guide them, but actually as a counselor so I can come and be awoken to my faith, what I said I believed all my life. 
It was as a counselor through the preaching of God's word there that I heard the gospel afresh. For some reason in that moment, I, I, I realized my own sin and misery in a fresh way. And I remember going to the back room during the time of prayer. I, I probably should have been praying with the students, but I just ran to the back room and I was weeping, literally beating my chest. And I said, God, I see now my sins. I see now how I have stumbled other people by saying I was a Christian yet living in one way. Forgive me, use me, use me, use me. And I remember for me personally, it was that point, although I professed faith growing up for years and years, it wasn't until that moment where I could really pin a flag down and say, this was the day the Lord turned me 180, gave me a good kick with his boot, and say, run for me now. You know, when I, when, I, when I really came afresh to my faith, I went back to college that spring semester, and everything around me started to change. Firstly, because I was just bold. I was like a crazy person. I didn't care. I was talking about Jesus all the time. I was singing praise songs in public. And when, when the other church people in college heard that, that I was uh, uh, re revived and excited about my faith, people started to latch on. In fact, a brother particularly started to disciple me and said, hey, do you want to meet weekly? He taught me how to play guitar. And with the four measly chords, I exhausted as many praise songs as I could in my dorm room, making noise all throughout the day and the night. It wasn't just one brother that decided to walk with me. It was the community of that church on the college campus because they knew I was a, a bit of a wild horse when they heard that the Lord had broken me in in humility, opened my eyes. They were excited too. People would text me Bible verses. They would knock on my dorm room, see how I was doing. They would invite me to community groups, invite me to prayer, invite me to gatherings, pray for me, read the Bible together. And they walked alongside me. And I remember... I was so bold then. I would see any homeless person on the streets and I would tell them about Jesus. I would buy them a meal. I would invite them into McDonald's and when they would say, hey, I can't go in there, they're going to kick me out. I'd say, don't worry, man, you're with me. I remember a group of us got together. We made peanut butter jelly sandwiches and we went to Love Park to hand out something to the homeless so that we can share the hope of Jesus. And I remember one homeless brother saying, ah! He brought the choke sandwiches. He brought the choke sandwiches. And I was like, I was like, yo, who said, who said peanut butter and jelly? Ham and cheese next time. Ham and cheese, man. You're stumbling the gospel. They don't want to hear about Jesus because we're giving out choke sandwiches. I remember as a college student, I asked one of my buddies, hey, why don't we go into different campuses? I'll bring my guitar. I'll sing praise songs. We had a big... Uh, sketch drawing board and we had it out and we'd have people uh, write down their prayer requests, whether they believed in God or not, what they hoped in. And I remember just singing with four chords I knew. You see, the, the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. Our text today says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. And a lot of times, I know as Christians, we try to be very mild-mannered about what we believe. And because we know the, to the world, when they, when they hear us, 
Talking about Jesus and his blood shed for us, his death on a cross, his coming to life on the third day. The world looks at us like fools. And, 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 and sometimes if we're not excited and bold and reminded about what we truly believe, we start to be ashamed. And we start to quiet and stifle the testimony that God has given to us. But Paul says he is not ashamed of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, if we have received salvation from God, we ought not be ashamed because the very gospel message of Jesus is the power to save. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says this, he says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. He's saying to the world who is perishing and do not know their need for a Savior, when they hear about the cross of Jesus Christ where our Savior died and ransomed our souls, they say, you are stupid to believe that. It is foolishness to them. But for those who have been awakened, seeing their sin, looking at the cross, they know it is life. See, a lot of times in our modern day context with the advancement of technology and science and knowledge and philosophy and all these things, we think that somehow the message of the gospel has been stifled, that it sounds stupid and and stripped of its power, but it's not true. It, it, it's not any more hard today than it was back then. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 1. He says this, Even in this time, in the biblical times, the Jews demanded signs. The Jews wanted miracles and, and, and huge signs of power. The Greeks, they sought out wisdom. They wanted, they wanted something that gave them a, a special knowledge or a deeper understanding. The Jews demanded signs. The Greeks sought wisdom. But Paul says, we preached Christ crucified. And to the ears of the Jews and to the ears of the Greeks, hearing about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son being nailed to a cross so that He giving up His life would save sinners, sounded weak, sounded stupid, sounded powerless. And this is why Scripture says this message is a stumbling block for the Jews. This trips them up. It's foolishness for the Gentiles because they see it and they say, what power is there in the cross? How is a man hanging on the cross representing God's power to save? Because through it, through the death of one, many come to faith and eternal life. You see, the world doesn't understand that, that whoever wishes to save his own life will lose it, but whoever is willing to lose their life for the gospel will have eternal life. They don't, they're not able to see the cross and see God hanging there, giving his life, laying it down in humility, in somewhat a sign of weakness, so that many would be saved. They don't see the cross and see a God who is like a father to his children, who loves us, who gave his one and only son to us so that through him many sons would come to glory. You see, the Christian message is deeply paradoxical to the framework of this world. Yet at the same time, we know for those of us who believe in the cross of Christ, in the message 
of Jesus Christ who died for our sins and was raised in power on the third day that all those who believe in him will not be put to shame but have eternal life. You know, Paul challenges the believers and he says this, brothers, consider your calls. Consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I am not ashamed of the gospel because I believe it is the power of God for salvation. It's paradoxical, it's counterintuitive, but it is true. Those who are willing to lose their life for Christ will gain it for all eternity. This is the message of hope that we have. Before you came to know the Lord, were you not lost? You had no hope, you had no life, you had no purpose or reason to continue except simply to exist in, in mystery and in misery as you kept spiraling down deeper and deeper in darkness. But brothers and sisters, for those of you who know, as you come to know the Lord, you saw the beauty of the cross, the joy of salvation, and how nothing in this world is compared to that. So if we're asking the question, who should evangelize? The answer is every one of us who has experienced this grace, who has tasted this joy, who has heard this gospel, who are bold enough to boast in the Lord and to say in the face of the world, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save. Everyone who has experienced the power of God for salvation should be preaching, evangelizing, spreading this power, this hope in Jesus. So if everyone who received this is called now to evangelize, to preach, then to whom shall we evangelize to? As their text continues, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now this tag of the Jew first to the Greek helps us to understand in the history of salvation, in the story and narrative of the Bible, in the way that God worked in time and space and in history, that he chose one group of people and through that group came to save many. And that, that, that framework is important because it's through the one Savior, Jesus Christ, that many are saved. But let me unpack this for us very quickly. In Genesis 9... After the flood and Noah and his family have found land, we see in Genesis 9, Noah gives this blessing to one of his sons. He has three sons. And to one of his sons, he blesses him so. He says, 
And also said, he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge in Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Throughout the history of how salvation came to all of us, we see from that blessing that Noah gives to Shem, as he says, let everyone dwell in the tents of Shem. May God increase and enlarge in Japheth. We see through the line of Shem comes Abraham, to which God promises that all the nations will be blessed through him. So from Noah to the tents of Shem, to Abraham, and all the way now to Jesus, we see that the tent of Shem, that the tent of Christ, will expand in such a way that all who come, whether they're Jew or Greek, will be allowed entrance into his tent as they believe in Jesus. It it shows us that God in His plan has always made it so that every nation, tribe, and tongue would come to know Jesus. Through the few, the many will be saved. And through the one man, Jesus Christ, many will receive salvation. And so everyone who believes... It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your, what culture you are. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter where in the world you live. Everyone who believes in Jesus will have salvation, is what we are told. Not everyone will believe, but everyone who believes will have salvation. And in Romans 10, it echoes the same thing. For Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. There's no reason to be ashamed. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This means that if you have experienced the power of God saving your life, then you are called now to share this good news with anyone and everyone Because anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. You know, we can say what we want about our first generation immigrant brothers and sisters. We can can despise and mock them for for their zeal at Ashi and Hmar for the way they evangelize. We We can say what we want by the way they practice together in the hallways singing songs of praise celebrating, praying, and getting ready to take the gospel to the marketplaces. We can say and think what we want when we see them bringing in their employees who don't even speak English to church. We can judge and mock and we can say, that's not the way to do it. But if we're honest, even some of us here are sitting in this room because we were chased after by these people. You see, if you truly believe in the gospel as the power of God to save, then your heart will break for those who do not know this. Then you will go out with no shame at all, with any and every opportunity, seeking it out in spontaneous moments and even planning it intentionally to share this gospel. I remember I was at Ashi Plaza, the supermarket, after Sunday worship with a group of college students, we were eating in the food court. And I noticed that our 
KM church members were there evangelizing. And we were all sitting in the food court. We're eating our chicken. We're having a good time. An older lady comes over to us at our table. And she says, do you guys go to church? We say, yes, we do. One of the college students tells her, pointing to me, he's actually a pastor. <laughs> and, she's, and, the, and the older lady says, oh, that's great. Where do you go to church? Where are you a pastor? <laughs> and I said, at the same church you go to. <laughs> and she said, that's great. And she gave me a pamphlet nonetheless. The zeal and the passion to evangelize to every and anyone. The unashamedness about the gospel that is the power of God to save. This woman carried with her. I see groups of men and women unashamedly loading up that church van and going to the places they have prayed over. Brothers and sisters, if we say we are serious about the gospel, if we are genuinely taken over by the message of Christ, then let us with joy take it out to the world because everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. I want to make it practical. A lot of times, you know, we come into this, into this church we sing songs of praise and we even listen to the sermon and the message in a very self-centered way sometimes. And, it, and, and, and sometimes, and, and I, I don't want to uh, speak down on this, but sometimes we come just only with our sufferings in mind, only with our heavy week in mind. And we come and we think, man, man, I, I want to be blessed. How come I'm not being blessed at church and by the Sunday sermon? How come God, how come I don't feel close to him? How come I'm stuck at the same job? How come I'm dealing with these things? But brother and sister, can I ask you, can I challenge you to lift your eyes, perhaps the situations you are in, the sufferings, the hardships, the job places, the coworkers that annoy you and irritate you. Could it be that you are not stuck there, but you are stationed there by your master to be a witness, to be a testimony, to be one who evangelizes about the good news of the gospel? And I know that sounds good and all, but how would that practically happen? I know it's hard. Trust me, when I was in college, I was bold. I didn't care who. I would go up to anybody in the street. Now, even as a pastor, I struggle to evangelize. I can preach to you here, but I'm, when I'm out in the streets, if I were honest, I am just as scared as you are. I am fumbling around the words in my mind, just as scared as you are. So you're never going to be able to share your testimony of faith if you're not willing to live life with the people who are surrounding you. If you're not willing to open yourself up, if you're not willing to ask that person, why are you so downcast? Why are you so hopeless? Why are you so sad? What do you hope in? If you're not willing to get past the professionalism, the clean-cut nine-to-five at work, let's just talk about work. Let's not get into each other's lives. Let's keep it clean-cut then you will never have an opportunity to share your gospel. You will never have an opportunity to tell them about the hope of Jesus. If we are to reach our brothers and sisters around us, if we are to truly evangelize in a genuine way, then we have to first be willing to live life with our eyes open to the joy of the gospel that we have. 
be willing to speak our testimony, our story, to those who do not believe. You know, testimonies are so powerful. When we talk about evangelism, a lot of times we think, I've got to take Jesus Christ died on the cross, third day he rose again from the dead, anyone who believes in him will not die and have life. If that, if that package is what you're taking to your workplace to evangelize, yeah, it's going to be pretty tough. When are you going to have the opportunity at the cubicle, at happy hour, at, at, at lunch, to say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus Christ who died on the cross. I understand. I'm not saying just be ridiculous and just throw that out there. That is the gospel message, right? But if you are a believer of Christ, you have experienced this objective gospel message in a personal way so you can say, hey, Brian, hey, John, hey, Jamie, hey, Sarah. It seems like you're having a tough time. I'm struggling too. I remember a time when I felt so hopeless on on how to raise my children, on trying to pay for college or for mortgage. I remember when I didn't know what I was doing and I felt so stuck in this job. But I remember the hope I had in Jesus, and I know it sounds crazy, but in the Bible and in the preaching and as I go to church, I'm reminded that my, my sole purpose isn't my job. My sole purpose isn't to raise good children. My sole purpose isn't to get a nice house and be comfortable. My sole purpose is deeper than anything this world can touch. My hope and my joy is in the fact that I love Jesus and he loves me. And that when all this hardship has come and gone, I will have an eternal life with eternal joy with Jesus who loves me and saves me. You know, the best way to evangelize to this good news is to testify how it has shaped, affected, encouraged, challenged, and flipped your life upside down. Share your testimonies. That's how you can preach the gospel. And the last point, we'll end with this reality at the end of our text. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What we're being told here is this. You're a Christian? Praise the Lord. You want to preach and evangelize, go to missions and take the good news to your workplace? Praise the Lord. But you got to know that salvation and faith in Jesus is a gift from God. You have to know that you in your eloquence, in your knowledge, in your even your testimony and experience cannot convert someone. You have to know that the work of saving a soul is not up to you. You have to know that enjoy God called you to share your testimony because through your story, through the message of Jesus, God will save them. We're we're being told here in verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. We're being told that in order to see and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it takes faith. In, in Ephesians 2, it, it talks about how this faith is a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast, but it's something that God gives 
in his own good pleasure. So that means if we are to evangelize, where we have to start is recognizing that we don't have the power to save a single soul. That my preaching, as loud as it can get, doesn't have the power to save souls or even to encourage you if it's not the work of the Holy Spirit. You and your workplaces, you have to know that the pressure is not on you to save souls. No, the joy is set before you to share your testimony, your story, and your faith in Jesus. But the saving work is done by God. Doesn't that free us? Doesn't that give us a a deeper boldness and an unashamedness to share about Jesus? Some will reject. Some will not believe. But some will accept. Some will believe. Some will come to faith in Christ as God uses each and every one of us. You know, we went to, as Pastor Stephen mentioned, Lehigh Valley Hospital this a couple days ago, and we went to go visit one of our uh, members. She had given birth, and I was sitting in the hospital with Pastor Stephen in the hallway. We were waiting, and this lady, um, I think she was a custodial worker in the hospital, down the hallway, I hear her singing. It says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. And she's singing soulfully. She's singing loud enough so that people can hear her, but it's not really a distraction. So, so it's, it's weird. She keeps going, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. And she keeps singing. And she's singing while she's working. And I'm just, I'm literally sitting there clenching onto my Bible. And I'm like, I should say something. I should say something. I want to encourage her. I want to let her know I'm encouraged. And I'm so scared, guys. I'm going through, where should I start out? And she's singing, I want to see you. And I'm so deeply encouraged to see someone in the workplace unashamed of the gospel. And I just start by quietly singing to myself, trying to muster up. And she's singing, and I'm like, we sing holy, 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 holy. And she keeps singing, I can hear her, and I just decide, you know what, I'm just going to walk down, give her a side hug, because a side hug is a little less creepy. Maybe I shouldn't even, I gave her a side hug, and I, and I said to her, I said, thank you for singing that. I said, I'm a pastor, but it's really hard for me to even encourage other Christians in the public place. It's really hard for me to even evangelize, but hearing you sing that, man, it reminded me of, of, of the freshness and the joy that Christians have. I said, thank you for saying it. I was like, keep being a salt and light. And I don't know if she understood me because she responded by saying, my English is not good, but I know him. And I was like, oh. And I was like, yes. I was like, God, Jesus. And then she's like, yes. And she started singing to me again. And I was like, oh, maybe she done it. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Is there someone you're praying for, for salvation? Is there someone you're trying to reach? Is there someone you see whose life is is ruled by the heaviness of this world and you want to talk about Jesus, but you just don't know how to? You want to share the gospel, but you don't have the words. You, You want to share the hope, but you're afraid then know that that is God's work. 
and pray for them. Pray that God would open the eyes of their hearts. Pray that they would see Him. Pray that they would come to know Him. Pray for an opportunity to share your testimony. It it starts with praying for someone. We're never just going to be able to, sometimes actually, sometimes. Sometimes it can be spontaneous. Sometimes when you're bold and you just muster it up right there and God gives you an opportunity, you feel convicted, you can, you, can share your, you can share your testimony, you can preach the gospel. But a lot of times, a lot of times the way it works is starting with prayer and saying, Lord, I pray for my mom and dad, I pray for my friend, I pray for this person at work, would you give me an opportunity to share my faith, would you open their eyes, would you help me to to go deeper with them, would you give me a chance to share the gospel? If we start praying like that for the people in our workplaces, our schools, for those who are in our household, then we'll realize as Christians that the, the, the job that we do, the work that we go to, the school that we attend, it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's so much more than that. We have an eternal purpose as we venture through this temporary world. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I want to see you. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Ask the Lord to open their eyes. You know, you're not going to win. You're not going to... You're not going to win a soul. It rarely happens that somebody's soul is saved in a theological or philosophical debate. You're not going to win someone to Christ by, by defending heterosexual marriage, although the Bible holds that to be true. You're not going to win a soul by trying to be able to articulate and argue the process of evolution and God's uh, sovereign hand. You're not going to win a soul by simply talking about philosophical things or understandings. You're going to be able to win a soul when you pray for that person, when you can get to the heart of what they believe and where they have their hope, and when God decides in His time and wisdom to grant them that salvation. Do not be afraid. Do not be ashamed. Pray and seek and chase after them. Chase after them. And I want to conclude by just giving us some practical steps. Pray for them. Share with the congregation who you're praying for so that when we do see them here on Sundays or in communities, we can say, there they are. That's them. That's That's the person our sister was praying for. That's the person we've been praying for. And we can go up to them and say, hey, how are you doing? We've been praying for you. Can you tell us more about yourself? How do you know her? Such and such and such. Pray for them. Tell the congregation. And then the congregation, this is a challenge to you guys. This is a challenge to us. Just as our sister said in the welcome kit, when we see a newcomer, can you, can you see them as, 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 as someone that the Lord might have called to this church? Can you see them as someone that someone has prayed over and wept over for their souls? If you see someone you don't recognize at church, can you see them and welcome them as if they are coming out of darkness and into light? Can you, can you have enough love for them to, to just pause, catching up with your friends? You can talk about sports and the food that you ate and your travel stuff later. This could be a new soul that was one for Christ. Can we as a, a body, a church, a household, 
in this tent, in this family, when we see newcomers come in, see them as people that someone has prayed over and evangelized to? Can we join in in that effort? Can we join in in that warmth and welcoming of Christ-like love? A lot of times when we talk about evangelism, we talk about how we can defend our faith and, and apologetics. And a lot of times we think apologetics or defending our faith is about argument, rhetoric, speaking eloquently. But in 1 Peter 3.15, it, it, it says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for your hope It means when you are called to defend your faith, God doesn't ask you to know what evolution is. He doesn't ask you to know all the theological ins and outs. When you are challenged about your faith, when you have to defend your faith, Scripture asks you to give them a reason for your hope in Jesus. It's so simple. Tell them why your hope is in Jesus, and that will be the defense of our faith and our gospel. Brothers and sisters, as we go into this new year, as we have really desired as a community to be beautiful feet of Christ, can we take the good news out there with our testimonies to our workplaces, to our schools, even to our families? And when, Lord willing, we see them enter here, can we embrace them as a soul saved or a soul being reached out to? For the cause of Christ we go, with joy to reap and faith to sow, as many see and many put their trust in the Son. Let it be my life's refrain to live as Christ and die as gain. Deny myself, take up my cross, and follow the Son. Let's pray.